Miracles by Governor Morris. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Miracles by Governor Morris. The first thing that happened wasn't exactly a miracle. Just the same, it was a wonderful happening. Suppose that you were twenty-one years old, and that all your life long you had desired an automobile, any kind that would go, and a fruit ranch. Suppose, then, that upon the morning of your twenty-first birthday, a man of law came to the house in which you resided with your parents, and informed you that your mother's brother, a crotchety old fellow whom nobody had seen or heard of for years, had died and made you his heir and left you nearly a thousand dollars in lawful currency and a little fruit ranch in that loveliest of valleys which suns itself the year round between the city of salinas and the city of monterey it was to rudy copeland that the amazing thing happened and his twenty-second year was no more than five days old before he had bought a very second-hand special roadster painted a delicate baby blue and set forth to view the more productive part of his inheritance. The way led through the old mission city of San Juan, and here he ran plump into his first miracles. But I am afraid he scoffed at them at the time, and was very sceptical as to the true miraculousness of them. Upon the top of a hill just outside the city, a miracle man and his disciples had pitched a tent. The miracle man wore a long white robe and a long white beard, and from morning till late at night he talked in a sing-song voice about his ability to cure sick people by the simple act of laying his hands upon them and wishing them well. His disciples, a stout man and stout women, with gold-rimmed spectacles, went about saying that everything the miracle man said was true, and selling photographs at twenty-five cents apiece. The hill upon which the miracle tent had been pitched was covered with people. They had flocked to see the miracle man from points more than a hundred miles distant. Some of them were very sick people, who had to be carried by their friends every kind of crutch cripple and ear trumpet was to be seen there were hunchbacks in the crowd legs that had shrivelled to the size of broomsticks and spines so twisted that they resembled pretzels but most of the people who had come to see the miracle man or like rudy copeland had stopped off on their way to see something else were only suffering from curiosity once a panic broke out halfway up the hill and several people were knocked down and trampled on it all came about because of a mexican with a big white scar on his face the scar gleamed like silver and suddenly somebody said to somebody else that the man was a leper then everybody tried to get away from the vicinity of the leper as quickly as possible around the miracle tent itself and the space in front of it the crowd was large for ten days rudy never got near enough to the miracle man to see him but he got near enough to hear him and word of what the miracle man was doing was passed by the fortunate spectators in the front row to those behind them except for the endless singing boasting of the miracle man there would be silences at the end of these silences there would be a clapping of hands these applause might mean that the power of locomotion had been returned to a hopeless cripple or sight to a blind man 
whenever the applause sounded the sick people on their way up the hill who had been waiting for hours and hours to get a chance at the miracle man would become half frenzied with excitement the sick believed that they would be cured their friends and relatives hoped against reason and knowledge but people who had never been sick themselves or taken a vital interest in sick people had no faith at all they thought that the miracle man was a fake that was what rudy copeland thought the show sickened him he believed in doctors and surgeons he tried for a while to find someone or other who had personally been cured by the miracle man or something or other but failed only the front rows on the top of the hill saw the cures made and thereafter the cured persons never seemed to come out of a charmed circle where common persons could get at them and talk with them rudy copeland gave up in disgust whatever doubts he had about cures he had none about disease there were biblical diseases on view running sores and the things that troubled job and there were undoubtedly diseases more serious and less evident that one might breathe in and develop inside oneself also there were little children so lame and sick and miserable that they could never possibly grow up and rudy whose heart was unsophisticated and tender could not bear to look at them so he climbed into his baby blue flivver and proceeded over the mountain pass to salinas here he made inquiries as to the exact location of the little ranch which he had inherited and how to find it now the word ranch is an elastic word it means anything from a half acre of cabbages to a million acres of sagebrush the ranch to which rudy's directions led him and of whose ranch house he had the keys in his pocket was easily found the little white house stood on the top of a very little hill the hill perhaps forty feet high had been neatly terraced for the accommodation of blackberry vines and their orderly trellises and was entirely surrounded by twenty acres of well-grown pear trees gentle hills dotted with live oaks in turn surrounded the orchard and a half mile of winding dirt road separated it from the highway over which people travelled between salinas and monterey the dwelling house contained a living room a bedroom a bathroom and a kitchen outside it looked like an old house the kind that a child throws on a slate but inside it looked new rudy's late uncle may have been crotchety but he had loved simplicity and white paint rudy's new home may have been as simple and unpretentious as a monk's cell but it was as clean and sweet as a rosebud at the moment however considering the house together with rudy's youth and good health the house had one grave drawback it contained nothing to eat it was rudy's intention to eat in Montreal, to buy groceries and return to his ranch but when he saw the mission church perched aloft with the lagoon at its feet and the tiled roofs of the little city beyond and the surrounding hills softened with pines and oaks and the blue sparkling bay something queer happened to his eyes and first time in his young life he perceived that the world is not only to be considered in terms of utilitarian progress but in terms of beauty as well and that was rudy's first real miracle when he had eaten and bought groceries he did not at once return to his ranch in the restaurant they spoke to him of a certain seventeen-mile drive of strange trees which grow nowhere else in the world of an ocean-bound city called pacific grove where sin is unknown 
of Carmel, where artists and authors live in amity and speak well of one another, and of the old Carmel mission and the wonderful highlands beyond. And he determined to see all these wonders before returning to his ranch and taking up his life's work at the beginning. A first acquaintance with the Monterey Peninsula has made persons, even less sensitive and accustomed to beauty than Rudy Copeland, absolutely groggy neither the bay of naples nor the riviera nor the isles of greece where subfossang and ought to have been arrested can hold a candle to it after a day and a half of sightseeing rudy drove slowly down the long hill which is the approach to monterey from carmel a very different person from the twenty-one-year-old boy who so recently had inherited a fruit ranch and nearly a thousand dollars in cash his heroes had always been those persons who appeared to make the world go round and who through personal initiative energy and inventiveness have acquired large fortunes and now he felt that a false rating of those persons had hurt his life instead of helping it he wished that at the university instead of studying business and mechanics he had taken all the courses in art and literature he felt very tender-hearted and a little sad a girl sat at the open window of a house which had only two windows and a door between them there was a hearse in front of the house and a dilapidated touring car some men were carrying a coffin through the gate in the house fence this gate was made of a whale's jawbone and presently they heaved up one end of it and slid it into the hearse two of them climbed into the front seat of the hearse and the others with two fat women with black veils who had been looking on piled into the touring car then one of the men jumped out of the touring car and ran back to the girl at the window took her hand and patted it and said something or other to her she gave two or three quick little nods and compressed her lips rudy just managed to avoid running into a car that was on its way up the hill the tragic beauty of that sweet grey face at the window had upset him dreadfully he could not get it out of his mind after a while he turned about and drove back up the hill the hearse and the touring car had gone but the girl was still sitting at the window looking out and as it seemed to rudy seeing nothing he had the feeling that something terrible had happened to her he drove clear to the top of the hill a mile and a half away turned and drove slowly down a few blocks above the house of mourning he parked his car and continued the descent on foot he did not know what he was going to do he had no plan and he could not have helped doing what he did he passed under the whale jaw and went straight to the window at which the girl sat he asked for a drink of water and that made her blush she had to confess that she couldn't get it for him i am very lame she said i've nearly always been lame it's really worse than that i can't walk at all this statement affected Rudy just as a piece of bad news about somebody he had always known and liked would have done. But, he said, suppose you wanted a drink of water or something for yourself? Are you all alone in the house? I would have to wait, she said, until somebody I knew came by. But you can come in and get yourself a drink of water. The house seemed to be divided into two halves. In one of them the girl sat with a blanket around her knees. The other was probably a bedroom. A ladder led to a loft. At the back was a lean-to kitchen. Rudy found a tumbler and a faucet, and though he was not thirsty, he drank. 
The house was very bare and unlovely. They must be very poor people, he thought. He wanted to stay and talk with the girl. Her beauty and her helplessness had touched his heart. He had always heard that there was much good Castilian blood in Monterey, and that some of the girls were very beautiful. This girl had a Spanish look, and her beauty could not have been denied. He paused with his hand on the door latch. Her eyes were lifted squarely to his. "'Could you tell me the time?' she asked. He looked at his watch and told her. "'Oh, dear,' she said. "'Is that all?' "'Every minute of it,' said Rudy. "'My watch keeps splendid time. "'But why? Is there anything I can do? "'Please ask me. I haven't a thing to do. "'I'm a stranger in Monterey, and I've just been seeing the sights. "'It's so beautiful here. I'd no idea. "'I wish you'd tell me if there's anything I can do.' My uncle, said the girl, who took care of me, died day before yesterday. They've taken him to Castroville to bury him. When they come back, we're going to decide what is to become of me. I can't work, and there isn't any money. I don't even own this house. Rudy pulled a chair close to Harris and sat down. Are they, the people I saw here a while ago, relatives? She shook her head. Just neighbors. We didn't even know them well. We hadn't lived here very long. They are kind-hearted people, but they are poor people, and they don't want to be bothered with me. Haven't you any idea what you'll do? Rudy asked, and he wished that he was at once a magician and a millionaire. I suppose, she said, and it took a lot of courage to say it calmly and sweetly, that I'll have to go to some institution. Rudy groaned inwardly. Why can't you walk? he asked. What's wrong? Nobody seems to know exactly, she said. I just can't. I had scarlet fever, and then I couldn't walk. We had some money then, but my uncle gave it all to doctors. He was a good man. He did his very best. Rudy was rapidly finding himself face to face with his first really strong temptation. It was the kind of temptation which older and wiser men than Rudy sometimes yield to. There had been brought to his notice a fellow creature, young, charming, beautiful, helpless and penniless, and the temptation was upon him to play providence. Don't worry, he wanted to say, everything will be all right. You shan't go to an institution, I'll take care of you. If he had felt perfect confidence in his ability to take care of her and to keep her from being sent to an institution, he could have made the promise, but he had neither the means nor the experience which promotes confidence. At the same time, he had to say something, do something. He couldn't go out of her life with a, well, it's too bad, but don't worry, probably everything will come out all right, goodbye. He couldn't. He felt that he had to make her some offer of personal service and sacrifice, even if it wasn't very much. It was at this moment that he first began to wonder if the miracle man at San Juan was only a faker, or if once in a while he actually did effect a cure, as all the applause and excitement had indicated. Now the wish to believe is the father and mother of belief, and Rudy began to wish that the girl could see the miracle man and be touched by him and commanded to walk. Then he told her about the miracle man. I couldn't get very close, he said, but the people in the front rows who actually saw the cures, they believed, 
and all the sick people who were trying to get to the miracle man believed i don't know what you think about such things but they sure did happen in bible times and i suppose there is no reason why they shouldn't happen now in one place there was a big pile of crutches people who'd been lame all their lives had thrown them away no more use for them he did not wish to arouse false hopes in her breast he gave a sincere and honest account of his own impressions and his own scepticism but the girl's eyes began to gleam with excitement in the telling american of it rudy had sold her the miracle man he perceived this and said don't count too much on him maybe he can't cure everybody but it's only an hour and a half run in my car there is no harm in trying it's too late today, but if you say so i'll come round first thing to-morrow morning and i bet i'll get you to him no matter how thick the crowd is i played half-back on my college team and somehow or other we'll get through will you go she did not say yes i will go she looked at him in an adoring worshipful kind of way and said oh please take me please please take me if the young people had taken the trouble to read a copy of the monterey herald or the cyprus they would have saved themselves a long run to san juan and return they would have learned that the miracle man and the apostles with the gold-rimmed spectacles had been arrested and locked up on a number of charges such as vagrancy and conspiracy to defraud they would have learned that the miracle man himself was suffering from a frightful cold in the head and a loosening of the vocal cords accompanied by an almost total loss of his singing voice and that of this condition he found it quite impossible to cure himself but the young people would not willingly have spared that long run in the bright fresh weather rudy had lifted the girl bodily out of her chair and carried her out to the car all the way to san juan in return he looked forward to lifting her once more and have her thus for a little while in his arms all night she had been either in his conscious or in his subconscious mind the feeling grew and grew in him that he had discovered quite an exquisite jewel which because nobody claimed it belonged to him and was his to cherish and take care of when they reached san juan and learned about the miracle man the girl was bitterly disappointed two very big tears came slowly out of her eyes and ran down her cheeks but rudy bought sandwiches and hot coffee and brought them to her in the car and comforted her suppose he said that there was always going to be a car to ride in and somebody to lift you in and out of it you should worry the temptation to play providence overcame him caution and common sense fled he wiped away her tears with his own handkerchief and when he had finished his hand was trembling i'm going to take care of you he said always and he went on i knew it was up to me the minute i saw you and learned you had nobody but i was scared to say so i was scared that you'd never get to like me enough and that you'd rather go to some institution but you wouldn't would you i've got a little ranch lots of tip-top pear trees and the cutest little house but that's not enough for one man to take care of you're just sorry for me the girl broke in and and you're stuck with me and you feel that you've got to do something she shook her head and loosened two more tears and she said i won't do it well said rudy just let me return those dishes and we'll talk it over in a few moments he came back cranked the car and climbed in and as they pulled out of san juan he said now we'll talk it over and as the girl made no response he added i'll talk it over and he did 
You, he said, have nothing to say about the matter. I'm sorry you can't jump and run and all that, but you can't, and that's why you can't even argue. I never liked any girl but you. I never thought any other girl was cute and pretty. I never wanted to be with any other girl. And now I've got you. You're in my power. If I choose to take you to my ranch and leave you there while I get a license, you can't help yourself. I suppose you could refuse to get married, as far as that goes, but I could keep you prisoner until you change your mind. And you'd change your mind, because I'd be so good to you, you couldn't help it. The only trouble that I can see is that I like you and you don't like me. I do, she said suddenly. Yes, a lot. You like me so much that sooner than do exactly what I say, you'd let them send you to an institution. The more I like a man, said the girl, the more I'd want to be fair to him, even if it hurts me. The grade between San Juan and Salinas is very heavy, and the pace of the baby blue fever invited calm and reflection. For nearly half a mile of solid wild flowers, Rudy nursed his machinery, reflected, and did not speak. Then, the top of the pass being reached, he turned his car over to the one mechanism which never misses fire, and whose clutch never slips, gravity, tested his brakes to see that all was well with them, leaned a little toward the girl, and said, "'Suppose I take you at your word. Suppose I take you back to your house and carry you in and put you back in your chair and say good-bye and go away. And you know that I've gone away for good and all. What are you going to feel?' with no one to take care of you and no place to go she started at once to answer him but he cut her off short you can't answer a question like that offhand he said you've got to do some thinking and imagining you've got to picture yourself back in that chair with the one person in the world who wanted to take care of you and work for you gone and gone for good you think hard whether she thought hard or not is unknown. Probably she didn't, because usually people don't when they are told to. But she kept silent and looked straight ahead of her for such a long time that Rudy became worried. He was afraid that he had offended her. But he hadn't, for she said finally, This is honest truth. I've always dreamed that somebody like you would come along and, and like me a lot and take me away and be good to me. And in the dream I got well and was a wonderful help to him and we were always happier than other people. If you take me back to my house and go away and leave me, I'll just die. But it isn't right for you to do anything else and I won't let you. He could not shake her determination. Her life was bound to be a mess anyway and she wasn't going to let him make a mess of his. She was stubborn, Rudy thought, and unreasonable. By the time they had passed through Salinas and crossed the river and were well along the winding valley road to Monterey, he believed that nothing would ever change her, and he was very unhappy. He had begun the day with certain misgivings. He had not been sure of his own motives or sentiments. He had wondered if it was any feeling stronger than pity which had drawn him toward her. He was sure enough now. Pity was the least of his emotions. He had found the one girl in the world for him. She was young, she was beautiful, she was good. He loved her immeasurably. He would always love her, and now that he had found her, he was going to lose her. He slowed the car and turned into a narrow dirt road. Mind if I take a squint at the ranch? he asked. It won't take long. The first stretch of the dirt road was visible from the highway. Then it passed between two rocky hills and became lost behind them. 
They pass through the shade of some buckeyes, and in the sunshine beyond, blocking their progress, was coiled a large and probably a very amiable gopher snake. Rudy, who hated the idea of hurting anything, stopped the car, dismounted, and chased the snake into the bushes. Then he climbed back into the car, but instead of putting it in gear, he shut off the motor. The snake had given him a happy thought. Nevertheless, though the thought was happy, his young face looked rather white and stern. He took the girl suddenly in his arms, and held her tight, and kissed her lovely face all over. At first she struggled quite desperately, and almost frightened him into behaving himself. But just when fright was getting the better of him, she stopped struggling, and all her muscles relaxed. If the struggling had frightened Rudy rather badly, the next thing that happened frightened him much more. He felt her lips flutter against his. She had shut her eyes and kissed him back. His arm loosened then, and he stopped kissing her. His voice, when he spoke, sounded quite rough and masterful, even in his own ears. "'You will be bad to me, will you?' he said. "'And send me away, when I love you for Kips, and always will?' His breath failed him. He held her thereafter very snugly in his left arm, and with his right hand he pressed her head against his breast and caressed it. Another miracle had been accomplished, and nothing more was said about institutions. When Rudy's mother and father heard that Rudy had married a beggar maiden who couldn't walk, they were terribly upset and angry. But when they had seen her drifting about Rudy's little house in a wheelchair and keeping house better than thousands of women who have nothing the matter with them except laziness, selfishness and stupidity, and when they had eaten the dinner she cooked for them and heard her singing while she was cooking it, they changed their minds and their hearts toward her, and when they went back to their hometown, they boasted about her to all their friends. The pear trees did splendidly that year, and there wasn't going to be any trouble about money. There is just one more miracle to relate, and that miracle isn't the baby. The baby wasn't a miracle. He was just a natural, normal, rambunctious, powerful, and somewhat self-willed and self-certain baby who reached this world of tears in a perfectly normal and natural way. But the chances are that he worked the miracle. He was so young at the time that his happy little mother had not yet left her bed for the wheelchair, and he was in the next room being attended to by his father. Either Rudy was clumsy, or the baby believed the moment to be well chosen for self-assertion, Whatever the reason may have been, it is a fact that the baby suddenly began filling his healthy lungs with blasts of air and letting the same out in ear-splitting screeches. Rudy was badly rattled and badly in need of help. He gave one despairing look toward the door of the girl's room, and the look of despair changed to a look of wonder, for the door had opened, and the girl had opened it, and was standing in the doorway, standing! She took two more steps, wobbly, drunken steps, and then Rudy caught her in his arms and carried her back to her bed. They were both wildly excited, and the baby, left to his own devices, had stopped screeching. The moment he began to cry like that, she said, I knew that I could get to him. She was all out of breath, and so was Rudy. Isn't love too wonderful? she said, and Rudy agreed that it was, and he added something equally trite of his own. It's the only real miracle there is, he said. End of Miracles by Governor Morris